Hello and welcome to Dungeoneered, a podcast dedicated to discussing Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Aaron. And I'm Josh. Let's do this. So Josh, as everyone already knows, I do all of the preparing and all of the work. So why don't you tell me what we're going to be discussing this week? <laughs> uh, this week. <laughs> you know, just just to refresh my memory. You know, Yeah, just, just to refresh. I'm sure you did all the research on it. Um, so this week we're talking about yeah. uh, the god Shar. Like Cher? No, <laughs> uh, it's S-H-A-R. So Shar is one of my favorite D&D gods because there's some really interesting like events and plot points in the lore that she was like either led or was a part of that are integral to the way the Forgotten Realms works now. And so she's just a crazy cool god. So in D&D... And- Really quick. And for people who don't know, okay, like hypothetically for those who, who don't know, the Forgotten Realms are the realms of D&D, right? The Forgotten Realms is a group of realms that was started in 3rd edition, I believe. And it was started by Ed Greenwood. And he kind of helped create the world that a lot of the modules and stuff took place in. And all of 5th edition takes part in the Forgotten Realms. So all the lore we've been discussing has been Forgotten Realms lore, except for when we went to Dragon Age for a bit. Right, yeah, no, right, exactly. That's that's exactly what I was thinking, you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, you yeah, did totally. your research, so you know. Right, right, yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> that was just for people, you know, who, who didn't know. I'm going to go into, like, what deities are in D&D and how they, like, how their powers work and that kind of things. Just kind of a brief understanding of that before we get into Shar. So in D&D, deities gain power through their followers. For everything from the fervor of their worship to the power of the worshipers kind of modulates their power. So some gods have even, quotation marks, died or kind of gone into a hibernation because of neglect. So if they don't have people worshiping them, they don't have any power. When you say power of the worshipers, like... Like, do you just mean like, like how think, many, or do you mean like you know? No, think like, who's uh, like super, class super level. So if you have a twentieth level worshiper, that's gonna be give you more than six level one worshippers. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Now a deity is either raised to deityhood by Io, or they do a special ritual to petition Io for deityhood. When a deity who's is granted, uh, he's kind of a. I'll go into it more later, but he's kind of an over-deity, so he controls all of the pantheon. So he's like the king of gods, essentially? Kind of, yeah. So a deity is... A, okay, when a deity is granted godhood, they gain a portfolio. A portfolio is the aspect... Can they get god hats? Sorry, what? <laughs> I said, can they get god hats? Why do they always have to be godhoods? Oh. I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, that was that was a rough one. I really can't. I'm gonna get uh, really bad. in relation to really bad puns. I am going to get so at the beginning of our sessions uh, for my Friday night group, one of the players uh, kind of runs us through what happened in the previous week, and so I'm gonna get him a cap that has re on it because he always does the recap. <laughs> I saw it on a show that I watched called Taskmaster, and it was very funny, but very stupid, that's, and I loved it. And I'm like, the, yes, definitely so using dumb. this. <laughs> so good, though. It is. It is. Anyways, what were you talking about? The gods? So and their hoods? they gain a portfolio, and a portfolio is the aspects they have power over. So, for example, Shar has the portfolio of caverns, darkness, dungeons, forgetfulness, loss, Night, Secrets, and the Underdark. So 1D of D&D. <laughs> so her portfolio is huge because she is considered a greater deity. And there are different levels of deityhood based on the power and the worshippers that they have. So the first level of deityhood is called quasi-deity or hero deity. Now this is more of a truly powerful person that has gained divine characteristics. I think most 20th level characters would be considered this since they are so much more powerful than the world around them. I know I'm not 100% sure on that, but I know for sure 
high-level druids, and I think monks, they are that because of their semi-immortality that they get at a certain level, which yeah, is a divine characteristic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, some super powerful dragons can also be considered this too. Most quasi-deities can't make clerics, paladins, or even warlocks, except the truly powerful dragons. They can. Half-mortal kids of gods, they would fall into this category as well. It's a pretty big category. Yeah, because it's, it's the one that's easiest to obtain, because you don't have to get Io's approval. Now, the second that level... Makes sense, I guess. Yeah, it does. Second level is demigods. Despite its name, demigods are full deities, but they are the weakest full deities, only capable of basic abilities of gods. They generally have only one aspect in their portfolio, with about hundreds or even thousands of followers. Now, the next level is lesser deity. They're more powerful than a demigod, generally with thousands, if not tens of thousands of followers. Now, the fourth level is intermediate, and they're, again, more powerful than lesser, with over 100,000 followers. Dang. Now, a greater deity, of course, is more powerful than an intermediate and has millions and millions of followers. Now, as you kind of asked already, there is one more level uh, that is really above all of them, it, but it doesn't really follow the same rules of deities, so uh, I wasn't sure to include it or not. Uh, it's over deity. And as its name suggests, it is over all others, it is so above the gods that unlike them, it doesn't even interact with mortals at all and doesn't grant spells or like doesn't doesn't create clerics, paladins or warlocks. Generally, they have no followers and, a, and lots of times mortals have no idea they even exist. And in the Forgotten Realms, the Overdeity name is Io. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of Io before ever. I hadn't until I watched some videos on the gods. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, good thing that I did all this research. Yes, it is. You know, to very like, helpful. Tell you about Io. Yeah. Now that we know what a deity is in D and D, let's look at who Shar is. Now, Shar is the counterpart and twin of Saloon. Simply put, Saloon created the lights of the universe, the sun, and stars, and Shar attacked back with darkness. That it, kind of the darkness that we think of as space. This is like a classic, I hate my twin sister thing. Kind of, yeah. Now, Saloon is a greater deity that is chaotic good, while Shar is a greater deity as well, but she is neutral evil. But it's not a clear-cut evil. She has lots of followers that are actually good, because people of all walks of life will call out to her for protection in places of darkness, both real and emotional. So she helps the depressed and even the people who are like miners that constantly every day go down into these mines for protection. They'll pray to Char. I was going to say, what about adults? You did say that joke. You did. You did just say that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. When you said the M word. Now, Char joined forces with Saloon when the war between the primordials raged, which is before the world was split, like we talked about in our first episode. Now I'm going to dive into a few of the mythological stories that are in the D&D lore. But before I do, I just want to say I love like real world mythology, like just the kind of like crazy stories you'll hear in Norse myth or the Greek myth. They're all so like weird and amazing and, and great. <laughs> and so one of the things that was so incredible about lore for Forgotten Realms is that it really captures the same feeling of real world mythology in these in these just made up ones. Now, sh the first one I'm going to talk about, I didn't find a real title for it, but I just called it Shar's Deception. Now, the background needed to understand this story is that there is a time in the lore called the Times of Troubles. This was a time when some of the gods tried to steal something of great power from Io and were punished for it by magic going awry and the gods all of them were forced to dwell in the mortal world in avatars. Shar's avatar went to Waterdeep, disguised as her sister, Saloon, and she made the people faithful to Saloon gather and made a display of coming out of the sky to be with them at the House of the Moon, her Saloon's temple in the city. 
most of the people were stunned and believed it was really Saloon, and she encouraged them to continue worshipping her. That is when Luna, Saloon's real avatar, comes into the city with a person named Vajra. She was angry at Shar and, and disputed her claim to being the real Saloon. Shar had already swayed so many people that she was able to easily convince the crowd that those people were unbelievers and rouse the mob against them, distracting Vajra as Luna faced off against her. Shar used a powerful artifact from the temple she was given by the high priest to defeat Saloon then, and she was trapped in the dungeon. And now this is where things get pretty crazy. Over a few weeks, Shar is able to mess with Saloon's avatar enough to make her doubt herself and convert into a follower of the fake Saloon. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which she is the real Saloon. And so it's just crazy myth. Later, there is a party at the castle and it is actually attacked by a group of Shar worshippers trying to take the fake Saloon, thinking she's the real Saloon. <laughs> can you, so then can you trick a bunch of worshippers to worship you and like you, those count as like your deity worshippers? No, I don't think they would count as as worshipping Shar. I think it would because she's doing it as if it's like it's like in Critical Role and spoilers uh, to anybody who's not caught up. The traveler trying to say, "Oh, look, I'm this deity." If their worship would go to the other one, it wouldn't go just because the one in front of them is the traveler. It would go to the other deity. Got it. Got it. Now, when this party is attacked during this event, some stuff happens and I'll kind of skip over it. But she acts in a way that is different than how Saloon should act. And so this leads to a group of powerful people being like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. And so they survey her and eventually end up realizing that's not her. And they attempt to free Luna, which is saloon's real avatar but in the process she is so uh what's the word um she's such a zealot at that point for the fake saloon that she fights the people trying to save her so she she so she's so much into worshiping the fake one that that she ends up fighting the people who worship the real one no she was fighting the people trying to save her because they realize she's the real saloon and she's she's so delusional that even though they're like, no, you are the... Like, she won't even believe it and attacks them. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of the coolest things that Char did, it's she did it because there is this, like... Uh, I wouldn't say all the gods have it, but a lot of them have this greed. They want more and more power, as a lot of the gods in history do. And so, with the help of her followers she makes plans to try to gain control of magic from Mistra. So she wants magic to be in her portfolio instead of Mistra's. And as we've learned from Karsis's mess up with Mistra, messing with Mistra always works out well. So she started this process by making a counter weave, which for anyone listening to this episode that didn't listen to our Karsis's Folly episode... The weave is the source of magic in D&D. Now, Shar's counterweave was called the Shadow Weave. Shar studied the original weave for a long time to help kind of develop this new weave that she wanted to make. And it was powerful and had actual benefits and negatives to using it. It was actually a feat that you could take in 3rd edition to gain Shadow Weave magic. So using the Shadow Weave grants these changes to your magic. One, your magic now comes from the Shadow Weave and not the regular Weave. Two, darkness spells are more effective, harder to resist, and deal more damage. Three, spells to alter things that aren't, aren't as effective as they normally are. So transmutation and some evocation spells aren't as effective. Four, you can't cast any light spells, and using any weapon that has light characteristics, such as like a Sunblade or something like that, they are less effective for you. Now, Shar planned to get rid of Mistra and fully replace the weave with her shadow weave. She aids the god Siric, and his portfolio is strife and deception in his attempt to kill Mistra. Nice. Nice. Yeah. nice. <laughs> they are successful, kind of. 
They do successfully kill Mistra, but because of how integrated the Shadow Weave is designed with the real Weave, it ends up being destroyed along with the regular Weave. And so this kind of... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Rip is right. So this chaos that is made from this... From killing Mistra and destroying the Weave and destroying the Shadow Weave, it brings about something we kind of brushed on loosely in the first episode called the spell plague where magic goes mad and places begin teleporting between Abair and Toral. But that is a topic for another week. Now that is some of the cool stuff that I have about Shar. And this week I thought our creation could be a God. Like we try to create one. Just create one God. I mean, we could create a pantheon if you think that we have the time for that. Yeah, it's going to take a long, long time. <laughs> it's going to take a long time. Yeah, I was hoping to later on bring up, like, full-on, like, some, like, like maybe the Spell Plague or some sort of other events that deal with the gods heavily. And then maybe we can bring back the gods that we discussed today and kind of talk about things that could happen between them type stuff. All right, so we got to create a or multiple gods. Where do you want to start? What do you want to do? Yep. I want to do this. You know, that simple task. Well, let's start with their portfolio. What would you like their por- the aspects to be? Well, um, good question. There's so much to choose from. Um, let's first let me ask you this. In your game cuz you've made a pantheon of gods, correct? Yes, I have. What 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 have you kind of based your gods off of before we kind of create a god ourselves? Well, so what I did the first time was I just kind of, I mean, I wasn't very good at creating, like, I think the best way to do it now that I would, if I was going to create a Pantheon starting from scratch now, is I would look at, like, the land and the world that I've created. Because I always, as I say, I start with a map, and then I create nation bo- nation lines, and then create where I think the city should be and stuff like that. And so I'd look at what was important for the different places, and then make them based off that. Like, they were made in real life, where it's places that were highly agriculture based had more agriculture related deities and stuff that they worshipped and so on and kind of aim it in that way but my first time making it I just kind of I I I thought about just kind of important things that I thought would be interesting to have a god for and just kind of combined it and then also I looked at uh the there are like types of um domains for clerics gray of domain Gosh, there's like arcane domain now. There's, yeah, there's a million of them. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. And so I looked at those and then I thought, what I, I want to have like three for each, three options for each one. And so I set those apart. I, I yeah, I created 17 gods. Well, it's not as many as I then, thought you would. Yeah, I created like... 17 and then I created an over deity as well. So your process was a little bit different than mine. So what was this new mm-hmm. campaign? What did you do? So my campaigns are in the same continent. Got it. And so I started thinking about, cause I wanted to, to switch up the world a bit. So on my second continent, it's a continent full of giants. So there's a lot of different giants. And so I was like, why? Like if it, if it's the same gods, why would they create different creatures on this Island? What was it? Like, why is the reasoning behind this? And so I thought, I think it's going to be a different a different pantheon. And then I thought, how did this pantheon come to be? Why aren't the gods here? Like, is there any connection? What's the whole... And kind of started to think about that. And I created it where, through a mythological story, like the ones I just read about Shar, there these the pantheon that is on the current island called Sephiroia, the current continent they're on, those used to be like high-level celestials underneath these gods working for them, but the god of trickery and deception did this event that kind of... He was trying to take away the control that the deities had over their people underneath them. And so it worked, but it also kind of powered them up in a way. So the interesting thing about my current pantheon is they're unlike gods in D&D because they don't require worshippers to gain power. Because of this event, they kind of have a permanent power. And so they're always like top tier. So one of the interesting things that they that the party is dealing with now, which is it's really fun because it's you're pretty much trying to control the gods. They're trying to 
tell these what I call these ones primordials. They're trying to get the primordials to like save people and step in and be like the gods because the gods have to do these things to make sure that they have worshipers and worshipers will continue to follow them. But the primordials never had that. So they don't they don't feel inclined or forced to save these people. I mean, they do occasionally step out of their way, but they kind of have such a overview of it that their involvement, their idea of involvement and stepping in to aid them is I'm going to, if they're if like, say all of my creation is going to be destroyed, I'll save two of them so they can save the species, but I'll wait till everything's done, then put them back. Yeah. And so the party's like, that's not okay. We're stepping in and we're now that we're getting like, they're like level 15. Now they're like, no, no, no. And so they're working with the gods to force so them. So then your, your gods, yeah, your, so your gods don't require worship to become powerful, correct? They just yeah, always So are. my original ones did, which they're on the continent called Aviren, but the continent to the right of it, which is a bit farther away, called Zafroya, those were creations underneath the other, the other, the original gods. So now they're primordials is what they're called. So when I created them for their domains and their aspects, I had it kind of be a twist on the the creature that made them. So the that god that they relate to, it's kind of a twisted version of their portfolio. Got it. So then in every continent, I'm assuming there's going to be different gods that people worship? Yes. And the last continent that I have on my thing right now called Piranu, that one is, they're called Titans. I haven't 100% figured out why they were and how they were created, but that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, my world's a little bit different than that. It's kind of like a weird mix between D&D, like what we kind of talked about, yeah. and then your campaign. So, I mean, we when we're like creating these gods, do we want to stick with the concept of you need worshippers to be powerful? Do we want to do like they were always once powerful? Because that's kind of where my world's at. Mm -hmm. um, what do we want to do? Because that's going to be a big contributor to yeah. how things play out in the godhood well i think i think for now we'll just start with they were always powerful just because i think it'll be easier okay. to to get it down if we so do we want to create a like an over deity who like created everything what do we like is that what we want to do or do we want to like well so the biggest thing is that even like the io the one that's in the forgotten realms it was only found out like because of a horrible event like otherwise the world would never have known about io at all so i don't think it's important and unless you're going to make it a plot point like i've made it a plot point they would never know who and so it wouldn't really come into issue okay so then let's make let's just make a random god that's going to be random on a continent somewhere <laughs> <laughs> just like a random like a god of rain or a god of you know creativity or a god of you know joy something along those lines mm-hmm so what sounds interesting to you? What do you want their domain to be? Uh, I would say let's do one start throwing out stuff. of the forest. And I, I, we're so not God supported the by forest. these people, but I want to point out uh, there's an amazing Kickstarter that just ended called The Wild Sea, which I actually backed because it looks so... It's such a weird idea, and I love it. And I kind of want to use... I mean, I, if I can, play on that for another campaign idea. But there's this idea of this kind of the forest is so like a part growing and moving and constantly changing that it's like a sea. So they call it the wild sea. And it's this forest that's just immense and constantly growing very quickly. And so the way they actually travel through it is they have these huge ships that actually have on the bottom of them like chainsaw blades kind of on the front and down so you can cut through it you can cut a line through it to because that's the only way you're going to make it through but by the time you come back your the thing that you cut out it's 100 gone like it's already grown over and fixed oh geez <laughs> oh geez so it looks it sounds super cool and crazy but i like the idea of like some sort of a magical forest and this is the god of it so maybe there's like a huge forest on this world and the forest maybe it has like magical powers so there's some sort of power to it and this is the god of that okay so we have a god of a forest who currently resides in this huge magical forest that is difficult to traverse difficult to navigate through 
Um, it's changing and moving constantly, like that kind of concept. Well, I mean, we don't have to do that whole part of it. I just wanted to point out that that was a cool thing that I saw and I, I'm a part of now. But So then who who worships this god? Who worships this god? Elves? Are satyrs? Eladrin, uh, maybe? Like, kind of like foresty folks, fake folks. Okay, so these fae... Are we going to kind of make it its own plane, like a, a forest plane? Like it has cre- this entity created an entire plane that is a forest, like the Feywilds? Is that no, what I'm thinking. I'm like... thinking it's a part of the world. Or it's a part of like the main continent that is just it just has this magic running through it. Maybe so. Maybe this god is a giant tree, and all of this forest is kind of it's kind of like a mushroom where they have this underground network, and it has all these heads that pop up everywhere but technically it's just one mushroom and so this whole forest is just just the god and so it just, just has this single, immense yeah, innate, yeah this immense innate god energy running through it and so maybe there's like yeah this kind of reminds me a little bit of avatar not the last airbender but other avatar where like the life tree or whatever it is is like connected to all the trees okay um, i have not seen that forever so that is, i did not know that was even a thing yeah <laughs> Yeah, so we so we have a god of the forest who is essentially a forest himself. Mm-hmm. Like he himself is the forest, yeah. all of which is connected to his main central tree, I guess you would say. It's yeah. like main central life tree. Mm-hmm. Um, does this god, is everything that's within this forest connected to this god? So like no. the birds, the squirrels, the like, no. are they all I was thinking connected? they just are brought there and kind of attracted by this kind of power that is there and maybe maybe it even like alters them slightly like maybe it kind of acts like the Feywild in a way so like the way that the Eladrin were just originally elves but they had just been in the forest in the Feywild so long that it affected them and they became these fey creatures kind of that's how this forest affects things okay so I I like this is going so we have a god of the forest who is this over-encompassing entity that controls the entire forest let's make a god who is like a brother or sister you know to stay in line with the classical mythologies Mm -hmm. who is like a god of like i don't know destruction or fire and so they are constantly at odds with each other because one god is creating this massive forest while the other god is trying to like maybe like a god of like the plains or something i was i wanted to say i would want to say so it's it doesn't start out as aggressive but I want it. I think. I think with its worshippers and stuff, it becomes aggressive. So it's just like a god of agriculture. But the the agriculture, especially in the places where this god is prevalent, have become so like that. Like the cities there have grown so big because of how just blessed these agricultural lands are that they've started doing things like slashing and burning. Like you know how they they would cut these huge swashes of the forest and then burn it to get rid of all the stumps and then start planting there. And so it didn't start out aggressive in that way, but it's just become that. So we have two gods that have lived on this plane, this continent, whatever we want. Mm -hmm. And they have originally started in their own places. So we have the forest kind of growing and expanding. And then we have like agriculture or we could even do something like industry if you wanted. So like two groups that are kind of, opposed with these god heads that are leading them um and eventually over time the god of agriculture for example slowly started encroaching on the forest land uh where it turned into this like his his worshipers had made their way and started cutting down some of the forest to make more room for agriculture mm-hmm. um which then in turn would make the god of the forest angry of course <laughs> yeah so does the god of the forest then retaliate I would say I I kind of like the idea of, of these gods not being like super involved. Like they are they are gods in the sense that they like bless their followers and stuff like that. But they don't well, do things why... actively. And so I think the thing that would be attacking would be the followers of that god. So it would be like uh creatures that have been Here's affected my... in the forest that are kind of now uh, like you were saying a part of the forest kind of, but it's more like the Feywild affected it. So here's my only complaint with that mm-hmm. that I have. 
is if we're making a complicated pantheon that's intertwined with each other, like a god who's intertwined with other godhoods, yeah. then having gods that just aren't, like, it's just the followers kind of defeats the purpose of having gods interacting and intertwined with each other. You get what I'm saying? Because then what would stop the god, for example, of saying to the other god, hey, we don't want to fight, let's have our followers just not, because we're all powerful entities. We're these, you know, entities of the forest, entities of agriculture, they'll do what we want, that type of thing. So, but but if the gods are diametrically opposed to each other because of their godhood, so the god of the forest mm-hmm. versus the god of agriculture, then the followers would automatically be at a more intense fight. Well, so I wasn't saying you know that saying? they were peaceful with each other. I was just saying that that the thing attacking is not the forest itself. Like, uh, like how, how I... like a lot of mythological stories, there's like people fight for these gods on Earth. And then there's also kind of a consecutive mythological story about what happens like for in, in Greek mythology on Mount Olympus. And so there's that kind of a thing up there, but there's also the on Earth followers of those deities enacting those ideals down here. All right. So see how I how I was originally seeing this and. Maybe it might be fun to do like how you would do this versus how I would do this. It mm-hmm. might be kind of a fun aspect we could do. But how I was seeing this is these two gods are opposed to each other because of their domains, for example, the domain of the forest versus the domain of agriculture. And what I was seeing towards the end is we now have, say, the end of this whole entire thing. We now have this land that is destroyed and desolate because the god of the forest kind of aroused from their slumber. You know, I can picture like this huge walking tree of just like roots and tangled mess kind of make its way out of the forest with all of its followers falling behind, marching into the farm farmland of this god of agriculture. And then you have like all of these priests of these agriculture and all of these people kind of lined up on the other side with their god kind of a high rise, like high above them. And they get in this huge battle and this huge battle eventually ends up destroying all land kind of creating this whole desolate, destroyed landscape that is no longer a forest or an agriculture or like or a thriving civilization with agriculture because of this event, which then led these two gods to kind of leave their original location to create a new forest or a new thriving civilization away from each other. But the the result of the conflict remains this kind of like scarred landscape in like yeah. a certain area of the world. Yeah, that's cool. And I... I... That's how I was seeing it. Yeah, that's cool. That works. And then the the forest has it still exists, but it's taken on a darker kind of like it's not safe to travel through there at night type feel to it. Yeah. So what I how I would how I would probably do this um, if the players were so I have a place called the Desolation My World, which is different than what I'm going for. But how I would do this is like half of this. You know, it's like it could be an island. It could be I don't know how big it would be, but a continent might be a little bit too big. Um, oh, yeah, I just think it's a, a huge forest before. and kind of an area on the war on yeah. the continent. It yeah, might but be I think it would be really fun to have like, yeah, I think it'd be really fun to have this like split where you have this like dead, old, destroyed forest, you know, and then on the other side, this like destroyed, charred, you know, open plane you know so you have this like dividing line that you can like see and it'd be really fun to have in the middle of this plane say the god of the forest was killed and ended up escaping so you have this huge shell of a tree that just kind of grows out that's just in the middle of this open plane and then in the forest you have this like single section where the god of agriculture just like destroyed a section of the forest but he himself died there as well so Mm -hmm. you have these two like old ancient relics left over in the opposite zones that they're a part of yeah i have i have parts in in my world that are literal physical changes to the landscape because of some mythological story like i have a place called the great fissure where it's just this gash in the world that happened from one of the strikes of a god attacking a primordial. And then I also have a place called uh, the Valley of Kruvesh the Slaughterer. And Kruvesh the Slaughterer was a primordial that, like a god, can't be killed. But even without followers, because it's a primordial, it can't have its, like, it can't, you can't not follow it and give it no power. 
it always has a mass amount of power. So they had this god had to like figure out a way to trap it there. But even trapping it, it still releases this kind of negative energy off of it that created this evil valley which mutated creatures. And so the the place around it, I kind of based it off like Sparta. And so it's this very militaristic based culture and their aim is to protect the world from the creatures that come out of this valley and to kind of go in and deal with these monsters. And it's it's created a cool place. And so yeah, my idea that I wanted to add to this kind of world with these deities in it was a deity of kind of like Artemis, like of the traveler and it would be like traveling and bards and like safe travel and bards kind of would be their domain. And so in these areas, it's like kind of dangerous now. So a lot of people avoid it. But throughout the area, there's these kind of angelic statues. So throughout like the forest and stuff, there's these angelic statues that seem to be holding like lanterns and they're ever burning these lanterns. And so if you're traveling through this forest and it becomes night, you have to get to one of these illuminated areas or it's very dangerous. And so there are safe havens in this forest. Here's what I would build off of that. I think it would be really fun. And this is totally my subjective opinion, but I think it'd be really fun that there is no more life at all within this area. However, the ghosts of those who fought kind of emerge at night, Mm -hmm. kind of making their way and appear. So these little like safe zones, these little lights are kind of like anti, you know, anti ghost shields. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so if you get to one of these like safe zones all throughout the entire thing, so you can see them even like lined through the plains. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of and you like setting them up like a day apart from each other. So you have to like know where you're going still. You have to right. like follow a map. And so if you get lost, you're still like, oh, shoot, 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 shoot. And so it's still like is a challenge to get through this. So travel through it is not just like a really boring description of, oh, you're just walking and walking, walking. It's like something happens you get attacked you might have to be traveling through that forest longer than what gets you to the next light and so you're going to be in the dark for a bit you're going to have to book it if you want to get into safety in time absolutely and then what i also think would be really fun to do is later create a pantheon that is like the over pantheon so like gods that are stronger but these two gods used to be a part of that pantheon but because they killed each other they they fell in how strong they became and now we're building it back up slowly over time. Oh, I, so I thought you were saying they died because there was the tree part. No, so the agriculture. So they, they killed each other in quotations, like they killed each other, but because they're gods and deities, they're virtually impossible to kill. Mm-hmm. So it, it more of like weakened them. And so now they're kind of these lesser deities that are only worshiped in this certain area. You know what I'm saying? So you have this like, you have like, for example, Zeus and, you know, like Poseidon as like the overgroup. And then you have underneath, you know, Hermes, <laughs> you know, like, like kind of this smaller group. But these two gods are in the smaller group because they used to be part of the over pantheon. But because they killed each other, they ended up because they had this huge battle, they ended up destroying their own power and mm-hmm. had fallen in godhood. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they went from greater to lesser. Because so many of right. their, I guess, because you said we weren't going to do that. Uh, I was going to say, so so many of their worshippers are are killed that they were became. No, yeah, replied. it had nothing to do with their worshippers. Just the fact that they killed each yeah. other. Yeah. So they they ended up killing each other, which then reduced their power. And then it would be really fun if you wanted, and this is also totally um, subjective. You could also have that these two gods that were once enemies are now more allies as they try to ascend back up into a higher tier of godhood. And then you could even, if you wanted to make a campaign based off of it, where like the party ends up, you know, with these gods trying to fight the gods, you could do all sorts of stuff with something like that, where these two gods are now kind of like spiteful because they have fallen from the greater deities to the lesser deities. And now they want back into the club, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And in my world, which spoilers to anybody in my current campaign, you should stop listening to this point and skip like a few minutes ahead. Uh, the 
big bad, which is going to reveal themselves soon, which is going to be really cool. Uh, somebody they've kind of worked with throughout the campaign, but they are, as I, I think I've, I've talked about this before, how they're trying to have this war with the primordials. They're, they're start, they want a war because they want to weaken all the primordials because they're fighting each other and be able to surpass them. And so this, this god, Feriana, they are a lesser god. They're a demigod. But they were around, and it actually they should be a primordial. Because originally they were a follower of a god at around the time when all of that primordial business was going on. But when I when their overdeity, which mine is called the World Forger, was giving the primordials godhood, they were left out. And so they're very angry now. And so that they're they're what you're talking about. They're very spiteful, and that's their their whole thing. That's why right. they're going to be the big bad, right? And so I think that would be a really fun thing to throw at your party, just with this tiny little you know battle of between the forest and this agriculture. That and then the, the party could even go and they can see like the old carcass of the gods, so like this old fallen tree in the middle of this plain. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like old destroyed ruin of of this huge massive tree that you can like go inside of and, you know, make your way through kind of like a dead Titan, you know, like in yeah. like a dead, a dead Titan that has fallen. And then reverse, you can go into the forest and you can see this like charred, destroyed, you know, plane that you can kind of make your way through, um, which I think would be really, really fun. This like huge entity that like towered its way through the forest. Um, and you could even do like through the forest where the, tra- the God of travel has kind of made these safe spots. Mm-hmm. You could even do like, giant footprints so like they have like the party would stop and rest at one of these lanterns and they would see that like we're kind of in this indent and they can kind of like make out this massive footprint that they're kind of sitting in you could do that whole thing this whole entire like massive set of footprints makes their way into the center of the forest where there's this huge dead like titan essentially that had fallen in the middle of this forest kind of creating this huge open field inside the middle of the forest yeah and i think that would be a really fun kind of connector to all of this a physical a physical connector that the party can like grasp and see yeah and it's one of those things that here if you give them a map it's gonna be pretty easy to see and so that will having the if you want to make that like the full campaign having it be that obvious throughout the like that visible of a reminder of this mythological event is a really cool way of of foreshadowing it when they're just doing little, oh, go kill these bandits or go stop these goblins. They still see that this thing is here. Little do they know it's going to be a very important later on. Yeah, totally. And I think that would be be really fun to have that like kind of harken back. Or like when they're learning about the lore, they're like, you know, they, they can see it. They can physically go and see these places. And you could even, if you really wanted, you could do like, like, a, like a cult that's kind of made its way living in this tree. You know, like these like the remnants of, you know, of like the, the old people, you know, like the old people that sounded bad, <laughs> like, the, like, <laughs> like the ancients. These are the remnants are kind of, of the old people. people. Those old people. <laughs> you just have grandma and grandpa over at the tree. <laughs> oh, man. You see the uh, remnants like... of those old people over there? They're like 70 years old, man. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> so mean. But yeah, it'd be really fun because then you could even like introduce like you know, even if you wanted to go like the insane route where these people have like because they lived in this like because they've lived in this destruction for so long, they've kind of gone insane. Or you could just do like people who have these ancient scriptures and they still live in these places today, but they're, you know, they've been impacted somehow by these like destroyed lands. I think that'd be fun, too. Yeah, I think a fun or for encounter example, to have in this forest, do... like this dead forest would be like a a hag's house and these hags were originally they were there because the forest had such power that they could draw off of but there's this different darker energy that came when the destruction happened and they're just as happy to kind of absorb that oh yeah and so they'd be a very weird encounter to come out to to meet i also think it'd be really fun to do like a switcheroo so if you made say these like ancient cults that are still worshiping the cult of the forest is worshiping at the dead God's body, the dead God of the forest body in the plains and the, the agriculture, the people that 
worshipped agriculture god or worship or at his dead body. So there's kind of like this are they, switch that happened. Is there an so, animosity to them? Do they fight each other? Oh, yeah, they probably not like each other, I'd imagine. So it'd be kind of this like interesting switch that happened where these guys have, you know, kind of congregated and coalesced around their dead Titan's body, you mm-hmm. know, like to worship. And they're no longer in their original place. Yeah. And if you wanted, I mean, it would be really fun. I'm really a fan of like horror-esque stuff in D&D games. So if you really wanted, you could do that. These like cults are also kind of like possessed by their ancestors, by the spirits that lived and fought in these battles. And so the people who live, who like live and worship at this, like the God of the forest corpse, they believe they had conquered, they've conquered and won this battle and have now dominion over this agricultural area. And then vice versa, the God of agriculture, their kind of cultists are these possessed, like haunted people who believe they have conquered the forest and have now set up their domains. My idea for it that I would do with that is have it be, it's not like a possession because I, I, I kind of want it to be like a physical thing that you can see on them that kind of makes them weird. And so it would be these masks and these masks look super realistic and maybe they don't even wear them like fully over their face. Maybe it's like a half mask, like kind of like a Phantom of the Opera type thing or some sort of half mask type thing. And so if you ask them, it, they will tell you it's actually part of like the faces that have been petrified here from the fight. And it has the kind of soul of the person in it. And yeah. so that is how they kind of become one with these old, with these, these previous worshipers of their deity. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And then I think when I was talking more about possessed, I was talking more like, and you could do this with the party too, as they kind of make their way through this forest or this like open plain, they can hear like voices whispering and talking mm-hmm. like constantly. And so the people that have lived in these areas for so long have kind of succumbed to those voices. So they hear their ancestors constantly saying that they had won this battle and this was our battle. And we do not like these people that live in the forest type thing and have kind of slowly corrupted their mind. And then if you added that like masks, they've actually like made faces of their ancestors and now wear them (laughs) as like a reminder Um, would be kind of a fun, creepy way to add. Adds, yeah, you know, no, I always like weird flavor adding the whole area. classes that are or or maybe even taking a class that is already like a subclass that's already made in D&D and kind of associating it with something. So I might put the uh, College of Whisper bard like they became that way because of the whispers of their <laughs> <Yes>. ancestors. <laughs> and so you have to be one of these people of these yep. these groups to be, or you maybe even you were just trained by them to gain the College of yeah, Whispers thing. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but I would definitely. I think it'd be fun to put a College of Whispers bard. So this is kind of like a place where being a College of Whispers bard is a constant, you know, a common thing. But I wouldn't necessarily want to put my characters, my players' backstory, like having to be in mm. this area. Um, but I like that idea. Yeah. A lot. So yeah, if, if I didn't want to like force someone to, then I would just create like I'm very flippant about. Hey, let's just create a subclass because I find it very enjoyable, and I know it's it's hard, but I I enjoy it. So I would probably just create my own. Maybe like yeah. looking and getting inspiration from the College of Whispers and and a few like maybe uh, stuff that I homebrews that I find yeah. on Pinterest. I mean, but like create my own type of subclass of thing that. If you want to play, like if you want to be from this place, this is an option you can take. Yeah, I, I mean, you could also just like say there are two colleges of whisper, whispers. So like the old remnants that live in this like destroyed area that are literally college of whispers guard because they get whispered to by their ancestors all the time. Or you know, like you can you could do all sorts of different things if you wanted, but. Yeah, I found um, a, a homebrew on. I like that kind of stuff. I think yeah, really I found a homebrew on Pinterest, and then I found that they had made it on D and D Beyond, and so it's a like an undead druid subclass, and so the the forest cult. I would probably give them that type of a thing. So it'd be this undead. Yeah. Like you, you're still a druid, and you're still one with these forests and these things, but it's different. It's altered. 
Yeah, and I think that would be really fun. I mean, I think that'd yeah, be super another awesome. thing you could so, you could literally just say, like, if you talk with your player, you could just reskin it. It doesn't even have to be a different subclass that you make. You could just make it look different. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, you can do all sorts of cool stuff with classes to like you know reflavor classes, reskin classes, create your own class. You know whatever you wanted, especially if you wanted to match this particular area, you could do whatever yeah. you wanted. So do you want to create another uh, DD in this pantheon? Sure. Well, let's create, let's create the traveler God now okay. because he's involved yeah. in this. So the God of travel, I, I kind of want it to be like a younger a- brother, maybe an older or younger brother of these two. And so he kind of looked on and was sad and was saddened by this. And so he wanted to create some way to go through it without, without the world being severely like hurt by these ghosts that are now left from his, his relatives. And so that's why he, he felt connected and felt like he had to create these protector angels throughout the forest and throughout the plain. Yeah. I like, I like this. And I I was thinking because this God is a younger, a younger God, like say the Mm -hmm. younger brother, let's just go with younger brother. (laughs) Just get it out of the way. (laughs) Younger brother to, you know, these two, uh these two siblings that he i think he would probably be a lesser deity so he was a lesser deity because he's so young but now that he had watched his brother and sister who were these you know greater deities fall he had become saddened and burdened by this and has now made his way throughout this land uh this destroyed landscape kind of making these like memorials or like you know these like remembrance places of remembrance. like he's slowly putting these ghost to rest yes and so he might be something that you you physically encounter this person you meet them not knowing they're a god and they're just doing these like memorial rituals for the dead yeah and i think that'd be really fun to meet you know and then if you wanted to do a campaign around it you could then have like these two sides who want to make their way back to the greater pantheons who are spiteful and angry. And then you have this other like different perspective who watched this whole thing unfold and kind of question. Do you think he, he this fears and what this destruction caused? Do you think he fears his relatives getting into godhood again? Do you think that, it, that he has yes. this kind of like, it's yeah. there. I realize they're the same people they were back then. It's not going to change. Yeah. Like he doesn't want them to re- like get back into greater godhood to receive this extra power because he doesn't know what they would do with it. I, th- I think, I think the thing is he fears that he does know what they would do with it and he doesn't like it. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. I like that. And I think that would be a really fun encounter to even have this, like it almost kind of reminds me of Hermes from Greek mythology who also travels around and collects spirits and then like, sends them to the underworld because that's what in Greek mythology that's what he does. So kind of like did something not remember like that, that he did that really last fun. part. I knew that he traveled what? around and he was the god of travelers and kind of messenger god as well. Yeah. But I didn't know he yeah, did that. Yeah, I believe he goes and gathers souls and brings them to the place that's before you decide where you go to the underworld or to the heavens. Huh. I can't remember what it's called though, but interesting. I, I believe didn't know he that. does that. Yeah. I could be wrong though. It could be wrong. And that vaguely sounds right, but I just wasn't remembering it. So I think that'd be a really fun aspect to put within the world. Yeah, that would be a good one. Now, do you think there are parents to these? Or do you think they are like the, not taught, but because you know how there's some where it's like, oh, we know who their parents is. Oh, they're all, they're all related to, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the Thor. They're, yeah, Thor. No. Who's the guy at the head of Greek mythology? Why am I blanking on this? All I can remember is Odin, but that's not right for Greek mythology. That's Norse. <laughs> Zeus. Zeus. There we go. Oh man, that was just out of my head. There was no, oh, Zeus rough. was not was coming whole, to me. I was like, I circle. know he throws thunderbolts. What is? Who is this guy? <laughs> I could remember Odin and all um, Norse mythology, but just Zeus was just gone. But yeah, so do you think there's like a, a Zeus or a father figure for this pantheon? Or is it all kind of around the same? I mean, if we have brothers and sisters, I mean, we probably would, right? Mm-hmm. I always like having those ones being like huge domains. So like in my first campaign, oh, the yeah. father figure was death. 
because death so is like such a old dad's dead thing. Yeah. Huh? Like so, like the head of the gods is dead. Is that what we would kind of do? No, no, no. So I was meaning he his domain is over death. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, and his wife was was not of yeah, a great I mean, big domain. Uh, it was of love and family in in my first campaign. Yeah, like I think that would be, I think that's like a fun because if we have like a brother and sister, and then you know a younger brother who fought, and then the younger brother kind of watched this happen, you would probably have to have parents unless you would just unless they were just con- always there. Because yeah. in my world, I have brother and sister. They've just always existed. Yeah, so that's why I was kind of wondering, is what did you think? Did you think it should be a parent, or do you think it's an always there scenario? I like either, to be honest. I think either is good. I think either works really well. Um, if we, It depends on what you wanted to do. And this is for everybody. If you want to make a really big pantheon, brother, sisters, dads, moms, is a really good way to go. If you want to make a small pantheon, always existing is always really good to go. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, because there's certain pants. In my world, I had gone. Oh, I was just going to say how, like, in the real world pantheons that we've seen from Greek mythology and Norse and whatnot, I always like how there's, like, there's some that are, like, all connected. Oh, these are cousins and these are parents and these are sisters and brothers. And then there's, like, oh, that one? That one's just, we don't know where he's from. (laughs) (laughs) There's just a few that are, like, oh, no, nobody knows who their parent is. They just showed up one day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean you could easily you can easily do all that kind of stuff especially if you wanted a big pantheon i have 15 god or well, 16 gods in my pantheon so i mean i don't know if that's considered big probably not in the grand scheme of D, probably not um so i kind of all of the gods all 16 have like always well 11 has have always existed and then the gods of nature were created mm-hmm. yeah so i um yeah, I'm not sure how many is in a pantheon in D and D. Yeah, I mean, real life they they can they go for forever. In some <laughs> like Hinduism, they have millions of gods. I'm sure there's there's got to be a ton in D and D. Oh, there's a million pantheons, but I don't know how many are in each. Yeah, there's I know there's a ton of gods D and D. So um, and go on for all over. I'm counting yeah, them right think, now, and I'm at 43 make, right now. Like a what? Uh, I was counting them, and so far, oh gosh, they have a former member section. I'm at 43. I was at 43. Oh, Oh, there's so many. Holy cow. 72 is what I got, but I'm sure I missed some there uh, because they talked to you a few times. Uh, So, but that is including former members because even in their pantheons, some of them got kicked out, it seems. And that is just of the Faerunian yeah, so, pantheon. And so there is a bunch more like other pantheons. Yeah, I mean, that is a I mean, that's a lot to create for your and own world. One of the really so, nice things about about that, pantheons is that there's also like the pantheons. I mean, we're literally what we're talking about. They have like like I think there might be just in other planes or in different places where it's it's the pantheons we've we read about. So it's Greek, it's Norse. They, they actually technically exist in D&D in certain places. Yeah. Yeah. So there's That's actually totally. the realm of Asgard and Olympus are all actual places in the Forgotten Realms. You just, they're not easy to get to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that'd be a really fun thing to add in a campaign. It's just a ton of work to add to make this many gods. So, you know. If you wanted to go the route of millions and millions of gods, you can, I mean, you can even take like real life examples too, if you really want to just start stealing from real life pantheons. You know, you have endless, endless pantheons in real life. So you have so much stuff to choose from and take from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a fun one is, is like one of the things Matt Colville always says is if you're going to steal from something, steal from something obscure. And so like going into like ancient societies, like, Aztec, Maya, different places like that, and like pantheons that we don't really study. We hear about, like, oh, we we know they they worship gods and whatnot. I could not name one Aztec, Maya, or any of those types of societies gods. So if you add those into your game, most likely people will be like, oh, you think you created it? Oh yeah, I mean, heck, nobody, 
Okay, well, that's not true. A lot of people don't even know Hindu gods, so you can just dive right in. <laughs> You've literally got millions to choose from, so you can, like, you know, you can go... Even if you just took, like, really well-known gods, like Zeus, for example, I'm sure if you just, like, took that and just kind of slowly kind of made it your own and just twisted it a little bit, people would be like, oh, it's kind of like Zeus, that's really cool. But they wouldn't be like, you stole that from Zeus. You know, like, I think mm-hmm. you could easily accomplish like that and a nice way of doing that is like just give them like expand their portfolio so like just give them like one thing that zeus didn't have and stress that a little bit and so it feels like yeah. oh that's just a major part of their portfolio and it separates them from zeus in that way and so it makes them feel like they're completely different with just one little change yeah it can also be helpful to have like a player be like, oh, he's kind of like Zeus, because then it kind of can give a frame of reference for people for like players and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, again, you have to be careful because you don't want them to be like, you stole that. You know, you that is Zeus. Like, you don't, I mean, you know, but it can't. I be think I think even if they do, like, it's not like, like I don't want to scare people taking something from a a well-known thing and using it. It doesn't I mean, for, it might kill the emergent for some people, but it's not the end of the world. Like just using no, that totally. as to help like make your world more intricate like people realizing it doesn't it's not the end of the world the the (laughs) the game will go on yeah yeah it's just the only thing i worry about which you already brought up is that it might like ruin some immersion or you know something like that but other than that it's really not that big of a deal (laughs) especially if you can just like you know throw some weaves over it you know like just cover it up a little bit add like you said maybe one or two things that you can emphasize a little bit that are different (laughs) Mm -hmm. to focus on i mean it's super easy to do so you have an abundance of examples yeah like i might take like thor let's say and change his hammer milnir to like a halberd and make it be this halberd of legend and i think that might throw people off enough that like oh yeah even if it's exactly thor he just has a halberd and that's like his thing yeah or no, like a sword like, that shoots oh, lightning instead of a hammer, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it'd probably work. Yeah, I think even with the same, like, lightning powers and whatever other powers Thor has, just a, Halberd is enough to, like, that feels like a different person. Yep, yeah, or like Zeus, instead of throwing lightning bolts, he has, like, a sword that he shoots lightning from the sky. I mean, like, that would already just change everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so just changing one little detail like that can go a long ways. And also, like, if you're looking to to use some of these DDs from well-known pantheons, if you go on the, like, the Forgotten Realms wiki or maybe you buy certain books that are... Because there's books about all these things, like, as I was saying, they're, they're actually a part of the different editions. So there is a full Forgotten Realms wiki article, like, on Odin. And so, like, if you just, like, you don't even have to use the name Odin, use a completely different name and just, like kind of base it around just this article so not the real odin you're just doing it off whatever this creature this god is in this article because even in here it doesn't fully feel like odin it even says he shares the abilities of bards clerics druids rangers and mages like that doesn't really yeah, feel I mean, it's like just taking the god and dnding it yeah dnding it really yeah that's kind of all you have to really do yeah yeah i really like our our small three pantheon three character pantheon we have we got here oh yeah it's tiny we made it but it's tiny we don't need a full pantheon i mean we're we're just giving ideas so that the uh just showing you how easy it is to create a a group of gods and slowly just build it off each other and then like we just created those two like the we started with the forest and then we created something that affects the forest and then now we have three gods in quick time see and very fun yeah and I also kind of want to stress that you don't have to have a full pantheon to start a D&D game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the only, yeah. Yeah. The only time you'd really need more is if you want to make them important or if one of your players is a cleric and wants a huge amount of options. Because if they want a huge amount of options, you might just say, like, pick one of their domains. And then when they say, like, oh, I'm thinking of uh, doing the knowledge domain, then you just think about, a, a few gods that are that would fall into the knowledge domain and then give them the options of like two or three gods don't need to do the whole pantheon right and you know you can grow it as the players go through the campaign yeah. 
and that's what like religion checks are for you know they slowly learn more about it over time yeah and then as you slowly (laughs) created over time coincidence who knows (laughs) yeah and sometimes you can even like have it start to be important and then to them it'll feel like you always had this like ready in your back pocket but really you just started to make it sort of important and so they learn they roll these religion checks then and they're like oh wait like, oh, it all connects with this because you just created this god that week during preparation. Yeah, and another really good way to make a pantheon but not have to do a lot of work is the gods are dead or missing. Yes, that works too. That is a... a... You just make a bunch and they're all dead and nobody knows anything about them anymore. Yeah, and but when you... when Like, maybe you have to do a ritual or maybe you, you think about... How, how would somebody in this world become a cleric or power that they'd be playing to play those classes? Well, yeah, you can have them be dead and missing. Doesn't mean that their power still doesn't linger. Yeah, the, yeah, so, that you can't like and then invoke you can bring them back power. later throughout the game. Yeah. Well, we did it again. Officially on episode nine. I mean, sorry, episode 10. Wow, I messed that up. Yeah, I think it's episode 10. It is. Yeah. Thank you. You did all your research. You should know that it is episode 10. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Dungeoneered. I th- really like what we came up with, and uh, I hope you did too. Wait, aren't we? Wait, aren't we changing the name of our podcast to Potato Wedges and Chairs, or was it Chairs and Potato Wedges? Chairs and Potato Wedges, but right. no, right? We're not gonna, we're not gonna change our branding yet. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. There we go. <laughs> Thank you.